You're listening to Spice Radio's The Morning Buzz, and we are speaking to Margareta Dovgal, Managing Director at Resource Work Society. And this week's topic is Midsummer Update, Emissions Targets, Europe's Gas Crisis, and the Pope's Apology for Residential Schools. Margareta, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Absolutely wonderful to be here. Good morning, Minkiran. So there has been recent chatter about the federal government's 2030 emissions reduction targets. Would you please tell us about that? That's right. We have a very ambitious target for 2050 net zero emissions, and uh, that's largely related to carbon emissions, which we know are a big part of climate change. Uh, the net part, of course, means that it's not you know killing all emissions completely, but rather uh, through a combination of technologies that remove emissions from the atmosphere and you know, it could be as simple as planting more trees and uh, as complicated as uh, having large factories that uh, suck out emissions from the atmosphere. Uh, we get to a point where our emissions are balanced. Uh, and that's very ambitious. Um, but in the lead-in to this uh, 2050 target, which is still about 30 years away, there is an interim goal for the oil and gas sector here in Canada, which is admittedly responsible for a big chunk of national emissions. Uh, they're aiming for reducing emissions by between 40 and 45 percent in the next decade. And uh, there was some interesting news this week. The Environment Minister, Stephen Gilbeau, uh put it this way, and I quote, uh, there's a possibility that if the industry needs a bit more time, then we can provide some flexibility while ensuring that Canada still meets its 2030 goals. Uh, and that we can allow the industry a bit more time if they need this to deploy the necessary infrastructure needed to reduce emissions. Um, I think ultimately this ties into the federal government's emerging willingness to recognize the importance of the sector. Nothing uh, has potentially shaken our confidence uh, in the need for energy security like the crisis in Ukraine and all that has done for the price of energy products around the world. Uh, and, of course, this makes me think a lot about both the necessity and the feasibility of meeting emissions targets. Of course, it's necessary to address climate change. Uh, that's going to come with unprecedented risks uh, from human health to global security. But I think we also need to be grounded in what's realistic. And, you know, many in the industry have been saying we need to have the technology uh, for these emissions reductions. That means a tremendous amount of investment from both the private and the public sectors. Uh, in technologies that enable us to get there. And, of course, if that doesn't develop in time and the demand for oil and gas products continues, then, unfortunately, Canada could be cut out of the market sooner than actually is needed. Um, and, of course, if the world wouldn't consume any less fossil fuels, um, and, of course, Canada's production is a drop in the bucket, that would be a disappointing loss for our economy and for the supply of responsibly, ethically, and sustainably sourced energy products. And I think that's exactly what Canada offers the world. Now, the European Union, which has been hit hard by the rising costs of energy due to the war in Ukraine, has just committed to reduce consumption of natural gas by 15% this winter. How do they plan to achieve this and why? Well, the how is a bit challenging. I certainly heard the word rationing uh, somewhere on the docket, and that's it. Frightening. You know, European consumers are getting clobbered. Uh, I had a friend who lives uh, in the UK who told me that her bill went from uh, 40 pounds a month to 140 pounds a month, uh, which is, you know, just unfathomable in terms of uh, your cost of living massively increasing. Um, but the why is, is quite important. They're seeking to avoid a further affordability crisis uh, beyond the one that's already happening, not just in Europe, but around the world. And they're also quite afraid of shortage, uh, much, much worse than they're currently seeing if sanctions from the West 
and the anticipated response from Russia, Europe's top gas supplier, lead to that supply being destroyed even more. Uh, and ultimately, we're seeing it reflected in the uh, devaluation of the euro, the currency in most of the EU, uh, over the last couple of weeks and months that's been happening. And, you know, it certainly helps anyone vacationing in Europe, but is really bad news for the economies and the personal familial well-being of most Europeans. Um, as a whole, Europe is massively dependent on Russian gas. It's a big part of heating, cooking, and electricity generation. In fact, in Germany, over half of all gas supply typically comes from Russia. And across the EU, that number is about 40%. Um, but it's unfortunate that uh, the efforts of Canadian producers, uh, who produce a tremendous amount of natural gas products, haven't yet landed any major projects capable of exporting to Europe. Uh, Quebec is actually fighting against these things, although it does sound like the federal government is starting to see the value of us potentially being a supplier uh, to Europe in cases like this. Um, I would also attribute a part of this to Europe's refusal, by and large, to use nuclear energy uh, to its full potential. Uh, It's incredibly promising as a way to get clean, clean energy products that everyone needs. Um, But there, there are fears. And I'd say the other piece is ill-fated investments in unreliable energy-generating technologies. Um, But ultimately, as we move towards this winter, we're going to see what we always do, which is a spike in demand. And the prices that are inevitably going to go up are massively going to affect those who have fixed incomes, like pensioners or the working poor. And one more thing I'll note here is that we're seeing some troubling signs here. At least one country, Hungary, has been signaling that it doesn't want to participate in the consumption reductions. Uh, so, you know, if not all EU members are on the same page, you know, that obviously signals that they're concerned that their local economic interests could be at risk. But even more troublingly, I think it elevates this fear that there could be realigning power dynamics around the war in Ukraine, including some, you know, people talking about uh, BRICS. Brazil, India, China, South Africa, um, or that broader block that isn't the West, um, potentially backing uh, Russia's role in this war. Um, But I think it goes deeper than that. And I'm hearing a lot of murmuring now that there could be uh, something as significant as a global economic crisis if we don't get a handle on not only the uh, source of this conflict, uh, which is to say the source and the impacts of this, conflict in Ukraine, uh, but also the subsequent impacts that it's having on energy situation around the world. Mm. And in other news, Pope Francis has come to Canada this week to deliver an apology to Indigenous peoples for the Catholic Church's part in residential schools. How has that been received so far? I think it was a pretty heartfelt apology. You know, he said, and I quote, I humbly beg forgiveness for the evil committed by so many Christians against the Indigenous peoples. Um, but there's been a lot of people, very respected commentators, saying that the apology didn't go far enough. In fact, retired Senator Marie Sinclair, uh, who also chaired the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, uh, said that the apology failed to recognize the full role of the church in the residential school system. And that was a pretty pretty important piece to, to point to. Um, I remember back when the uh, Truth and Reconciliation calls to action had been released, um, You know, they were, by some people, deemed to be too ambitious. Um, You know, it would even be achievable for Canada and the Canadian government to achieve some of them. Um, But, you know, we need to give credit where credit is due, uh, especially the survivors of residential schools who champion this work, uh, their resilience and their determination uh, on a variety of items on this file. 
uh, is what is leading to these kinds of results. And I know, in contrast to some of the sounds like well-warranted criticism people have uh, lobbed, uh, saying, you know, apologies, not quite uh, sufficient, there's also been a lot of gratitude and appreciation from Indigenous people, friends of mine, who are Christians, and this was healing to them to see. But at the end of the day, it's a deeply painful topic. People can interpret the significance of it differently. I'm not Indigenous. I don't have any direct personal experience with these systems. And um, But really, it's, it is key that the apology is not just past, uh, about things that are long, long in the past. It's about recent history. And I think Senator Murray Sinclair basically said that the philosophy that underpinned the Church's actions in Canada continues to exist whether it's within the church or outside of it, and that's really something that everyone who's committed to reconciliation needs to focus on. One more question on this topic, Margareta, and this may be a very broad question. What lies ahead on the path to reconciliation? I would say briefly that we're in the midst of a historic reckoning on how this land has been acquired. I think one of the answers to that is through dispossession and violence. Um, I mean, that's one of the ways in which land is acquired throughout human history, and the fact that we're in a reckoning is a pretty rare thing. Uh, world history is replete with examples of brutal conquest and cultural extirpation, but uh, what we're doing right now is very, very valuable. We're coming to terms with this past and this present. Uh, we're doing it through the lens of a values-driven society that we live in, and it's a unique opportunity to attain justice for those that are owed justice, to you know, strive towards fairness for everyone who lives on this land, and to bring the people who now share this country into a state of reconciliation. Uh, It's a very nebulous term. I think a lot of people struggle to define it, but really it's about balancing things. And um, I think as we ponder this, we need to start to think about one of these most essential questions um, that underpins most conflicts throughout human history. You know, who can live here and on what terms? And I think as long as we are able to answer that question in a way that is fair, it is just, it is equitable, it provides opportunities for people from a variety of backgrounds to live together peacefully and to have uh, opportunities for prosperity and well-being, we get closer to an answer that is satisfactory to more people. Um, And ultimately, that reckoning is overdue. You know, it, it was, as the Pope said, an evil time. And irrespective of where someone lands on this question, um just around, you know, who can live on this land, Um, we do need to work through it in that Canadian context. There's a legal framework that we have. It's pretty inadequate in some respects. Uh, We have an ethical framework or many frameworks, and um, navigating through them is challenging in in a very complicated world. And I think one of the most exciting developments we have is an evolving commitment from businesses, large and small, uh, to be a part of reconciliation and Indigenous economic development. But the values that nearly all Canadians hold, I think, irrespective of our backgrounds, can guide this process above anything else. And that's respect, recognition of each other's histories and presence and culture, and a willingness to work and live together. These are very, very powerful forces. And just hoping that momentum alone or the legal system alone will get us there will not be enough. People have to choose individually and collectively to commit to a process of conciliation. And that's the thing that I think is going to get us to whatever this destination looks like. Margareta, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it, and you have a good weekend. You too. Take care. Bye.